0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for an all new episode of A Wealth of Knowledge, TowerPoint Wealth's original podcast. TowerPoint Wealth is a boutique independent wealth management firm headquartered in downtown Sacramento. Here at TowerPoint, we strive to help our clients properly coordinate all of their financial affairs so you can live a happier life and enjoy being retired. As a fiduciary to our clients, we have a legal obligation to act in your best interests 100% of the time, and we welcome helping you to construct and implement a disciplined, customized, and comprehensive financial investment and retirement plan. At Tower Point Wealth, we are not sure which we detest more, investment expenses or income taxes. Recognizing that both are what we call necessary evils that create drag when helping our clients build and grow net worth, we continue to be laser focused on reducing and minimizing both taxes and expenses wherever and whenever we are able. My name is Joseph Eshelman and welcome to the Tower Point Wealth Podcast, A Wealth of Knowledge. With me today, we have our Director of Tax and Financial Planning, Steve Pitchford. Steve, how are you? Doing great, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm happy to have you aboard and happy to talk some taxes and expenses and ways to reduce drag. Sounds good. Uh, Something that you're familiar with and being a financial advisor here at the firm as well as our director of all things taxes. I know that's been an area that you've tried to focus on with your own clients. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: Very correct. And I will say investment costs and taxes are certainly two of the most overlooked items. And in this investment world of building net worth efficiently. The thing that you have to focus on is not what you're getting, but what you're getting after those very two important things.
0: Yeah. What, not what you make, but what you keep. Right, Steve? Exactly right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, let's get into it because I know we've got uh, a lot of information to cover. And uh, you know, there's a lot in this world that we don't control politics, economy, markets. But uh, we do have a little bit of discretion and control over trying to reduce these necessary evils. Again, those being expenses and taxes. And uh, if we can help reduce uh, some of the drag and get better gas mileage, let's, uh, uh, let's uncover some of these ideas. So the first one, Steve, and I know we talk about this regularly with clients, is what we call the location of assets. Uh, I know you're a big traveler, but I'm assuming that doesn't mean Iceland or Australia. <laughs> what exactly does it mean to, to locate your assets? And as an investor, why the heck do I need to be properly locating my assets?
1: It's a good question, Joseph. So when we are talking about location of assets, I think taking a step back is going to be helpful because we really want to make sure that everybody understands that not all accounts are treated equal and how you think about positioning assets is very important depending on what account we're talking about. Okay. So in the simplest sense, there's really two different types of accounts. There's taxable People might know those as individual brokerage accounts, joint investment accounts, trust accounts, and then there's your retirement accounts, IRAs, 401Ks, 403Bs, list goes on and on. Right. Treated very, very differently. Taxable accounts, um, we invest for a reason. So the interest that bonds pay, the dividends that stocks pay, and when you sell a stock, uh, there are taxes associated with that. So think of it as a pay as you go. Right, um, and there are benefits of those accounts, but it's a pay-as-you-go, so taxes really, really matter.
0: And you get a ten ninety nine for these accounts every year, right? right.
1: For better or worse, yeah, for better or worse, correct. Yeah.
0: Well, and taxes again are not unavoidable, but uh, you know, if we can take some steps to be smart about keeping the taxable information and uh, taxable income on a ten ninety nine lower, so much the better.
1: Exactly right. IRAs and four one ks different types. We're not going to get into that today, but essentially think of them as tax advantaged accounts. So. To your point, when we're talking about location, location matters most so or more so, I should say, from a taxable account perspective. There are different positions, different investment approaches that generate very different taxes. And what we focus on at TowerPoint Wealth and what matters is having a strategic strategy for putting assets that are more tax efficient Put differently, generate less in taxable income, in taxable accounts, Right, because you pay as you go, so we wanna minimize that.
0: So stop there, so put the more tax efficient investment in the regular non-retirement account. Correct. Because they're not paying as much in interest, dividends, et cetera, which would be reportable on a 1099.
1: And not always not paying as much, but also how that specifically dividends are treated. Okay. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but there are ordinary and qualified dividends and how those are treated from a tax perspective is important as well. Right.
0: Different tax rates on those.
1: Correct. So in the simplest sense, if, if you're thinking about a hierarchy, and again, we, we don't want to be myopic with this, but it's important. Assets that are more tax efficient, which means generate less taxable income or more favorable taxable income should be in the taxable account, less tax efficient, tax inefficient assets, all things equal should be in your tax advantage accounts, your IRAs and your 401Ks.
0: Okay, so put differently then, Steve, what you're saying is that I have a diversification plan uh, here at TowerPoint, that overall diversification plan isn't applied on an account by account basis because certain investments in that plan are better held in certain accounts. Correct. Okay. Um, Good.
1: Well, how does that help a client save money on tax? Good question. So when we're thinking about how to minimize taxes in taxable accounts, and let's focus on taxable accounts here, let's get right into how we think about positioning which assets in taxable accounts versus retirement accounts and just take a very broad approach with that. Let's start with one index funds. I know you've heard the term before, but to keep it very simple, these are funds that track some of the ubiquitous indices out there. The most widely known one known as the S and P 500 right. tend to not trade as much because they're tracking an index. Yeah. And what that means is that they are not generating as much from a taxable income perspective. Right. So at the end of the day, less income on your tax return, but, still have the investment merits of a diversified investment position so a lot of the time those are great selections for taxable accounts okay we talked about this a little bit earlier but for stocks there is a big difference between what are known as qualified dividends and ordinary dividends okay okay sure so qualified dividends are in the simplest sense subject to a more favorable tax rate so a lower tax rate when that income is included on your tax return. Typically 15% at the federal level? Most people, it's 15%. It ranges from 0% to 20%, but most people are right in that 15% bracket. Okay. And good news is most U.S. companies qualify to pay qualified dividends, so we always want to put those in a taxable account when possible. Got
0: it. Because of the fact that the dividends are taxed but at a lower rate.
1: Correct. Got it. third big one, uh, and this is appropriate for everybody. I'm sorry. Let me take that back. This is appropriate for some people. There you go. Not everybody. (laughs) Keep the compliance department happy here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're known as municipal bonds. Right. Traditional brick and mortar bonds that most people know pay ordinary income. Ordinary income i.e. interest income, is subject to, subjected to the same taxes that ordinary dividends are, which I should have said earlier, which is the same as your W-2 income, so the highest marginal tax rate.
0: So we like getting that income from the bonds, but we also have to pay the most in tax. Correct. Okay.
1: So municipal bonds, and this is especially pertinent for people in the state of California that have California ones, are always tax-exempt at the federal level and might be tax-exempt at the state level. We don't need to get into that today. But again, tend to be very tax efficient, and we like to have those in taxable accounts.
0: Certainly. Okay, good. So in summary, in terms of locating your investments strategically, is, it's important to be conscious, uh, to, to have an analysis on what different components of your portfolio are paying what in income and potentially capital gains as well, and be smart about which accounts you're holding those in.
1: Correct. And to, to, briefly take the flip side of this, Joseph, it's important to think about then what, what's appropriate for what we would call tax advantage accounts, going back to those IRAs and 401ks. Right. And we'll take the opposite approach on all three of these and I'll keep it very brief, but we talked about index funds. We like index funds. Certainly they're low cost. It's a good, diversified approach, but that doesn't mean that every single area of the market, because there are different areas you want exposure to, mm-hmm. are appropriate for index funds. Mm-hmm. So if we find uh, an active manager, which means a manager that trades more, has the ability to possibly outperform the market, that's great, but if we can get those in IRAs and 401Ks, that's a good thing because those active managers, since the term, tend to trade more frequently, right? i.e. generate more taxable income.
0: Okay. So if a fund, uh, an index fund, or what you call an actively managed fund, so two different types, if one fund trades less, i.e. the index fund, better generally to hold that in the normal, regular, taxable account. And the fund that has more trading inside of it, i.e. the actively managed fund, usually is better held in the retirement account. You got it. Good. And
1: just two last one At TowerPoint Wealth, we certainly think that there, in fact, we're confident that there is value in having a strategic allocation to a real estate position, i.e. and via what are known as REITs or real estate investment trusts. You bet. They're great for two reasons. One, they generate a lot of income and two, they are not traditionally correlated to your stock or bond market.
0: Good diversifiers.
1: Good diversifiers. Bad news from a tax perspective is REITs do not qualify for qualified dividends. So okay. that's coming out at that higher ordinary rate we talked about. Right and they're required to pay out 90% of their profits a year. So if you can get those into 401Ks, you can imagine what difference Delta that would make from a tax perspective. That
0: could save you some serious money. So again, with a REIT, love the income, pay a lot of income. Unfortunately, the income's taxable a lot. (laughs) And uh, anything that has a lot of taxable income being paid out, what's bias holding those inside of the retirement account. Before we continue, if you've liked what you've heard so far, hit that subscribe button to subscribe to A Wealth of Knowledge, our podcast here. We regularly will be publishing updates and new information and think it will be worth your while to take a look and to listen to what we have to say. Follow us also on our YouTube channel where we regularly publish educational and topical videos. So we've written about a lot of these ideas and strategies, Steve, and I just wanted to highlight for our listeners that we've also written or or authored a white paper on all of these topics. So in addition to all this excellent information that our listening audience hopefully gleans from our podcast today, uh, additionally, we do have a white paper on our website, towerpointwealth.com. That's TowerPoint with a T wealth.com where you can download a white paper that speaks about these various ideas for free. Uh, Point two, have a plan to sell and harvest. Uh, I think I know where we're going with this, but what the heck does the word harvest mean and why are we selling?
1: Good question. So to provide a little background on this, we talked about we're going back to taxable accounts. So let's focus on those taxable accounts that we talked about, the pay as you go. not retirement. Not retirement, the one that you get the form 1099, that's what we're talking about. When you buy a position, uh, stock bond in that position gains in value, right? When you sell that position, you have created a capital event, also known as a capital gain. If the position went up in value or a capital loss in what, when you went- sell it. Correct. Okay. Sorry. When that position uh-huh. goes down in value. So in terms of capital gains and capital losses, I think you mentioned harvesting and that's a really important one. What we try to accomplish is, reducing the taxes that you are going to pay in the future on any capital gains. Okay. Okay? And we'll talk about capital gains in a second, but essentially what a capital loss is, is if you have a stock position, say you buy it for a thousand dollars, it drops to $400. You have an unrealized or embedded loss.
0: Okay. Because you haven't sold it yet.
1: Because you have not sold it yet. Okay. When you sell that position for a loss, you have captured $600 okay 1000 less 400 to then be used to offset capital gains that year for any gains on the upside that you'd be paying taxes on okay and the the big best benefit of this is if you still have a capital loss to use up 3000 of that can be used to offset ordinary income on your tax return which means think of it as all your other income that's not capital by nature right and the rest is carried forward indefinitely so
0: any losses that you harvest or realize you can use those to offset gains, or I should say you have to first use those to offset gains. If you've used up all of the gains and you still have more losses, then you can use that to offset ordinary income? Correct, up to a $3,000 limit. Okay, and then part three of that is then carrying forward all the other losses that you may have harvested into future tax years.
1: Correct, and this becomes certainly pertinent at least we can all look back fairly recently to 2022, where that provided a distinct opportunity to make lemonade out of market limits. Where at TowerPoint <laughs> Wealth, we aggressively tax loss harvested, as you and I both know, and you are able to do this and we don't have to get into this today without really impacting the economics of the underlying investments. Right? So from a tax perspective, it's a huge benefit, not just for this year, but possibly futures as well. And again, it does not impact the structure of the underlying portfolio, which obviously is key to this as well.
0: Okay. So there are advantageous times to sell an investment when it goes down in order to take the loss the reason why you wanna take that loss is so you can offset capital gains up to $3,000 of ordinary income after you've offset all capital gains and then also any additional losses you can then carry forward to future tax years. It seems to me like then if you have additional losses, it's almost like you have a little bit of dry powder from a tax standpoint at least. Um, I don't know if, you, if I'm thinking about it correctly, but so if you, I have gains next year or the year after that, you know, you're never happy with a loss, but if you have it from a tax standpoint, it's a great way to reduce tax liability in the future.
1: Exactly right. Yeah, it's it's hugely powerful, not just for the years where we do experience temporary downturns, but for future years as well. And candidly, there are sometimes not always trade-offs with making decisions from a tax perspective. In this one, there is not. It should be done. Um, it needs to be done mindfully, but this is something that advisors are hopefully monitoring throughout the year, especially in years like 2022, or going back to March of 2020 during COVID or 2006. Any major declines, exactly. Yeah. So
0: yep. to be clear for our listening audience, uh, it's it's certainly not something that we're happy about here at TowerPoint when we do see a temporary decline. However, there are opportunities to take advantage of from a tax standpoint when temporary declines happen, and this basically captures this this tax loss or tax harvesting concept. Correct. Okay, good. Well, this is useful information. So moving along, Steve, a little bit in terms of talking about trading and quote unquote, making moves in a portfolio when appropriate. Can you touch a little bit upon why it's important to think about which accounts you're doing that in?
1: Absolutely, Joe. So in terms of trading, what we have to think about primarily is taking the flip side of a capital loss, which we just talked about in the loss harvesting, which should certainly be focused on in taxable accounts. But the flip side of that is you have to deal with capital gains. Right. Yeah. And what capital gains are, again, we, we use this example, let's use another one where we say we bought that same stock for a thousand dollars. This isn't a taxable account. Let me make that clear. It's increased in value to $1,600. So we now have a $1,600 embedded gain. A $600
0: embedded gain. Sorry, game. Yeah. a $600 yeah, embedded good.
1: gain. So the question is, well, what taxes do we owe on that position if we sell it? All right, I think a lot of you out there have probably heard of this, but there's a big difference between what are known as short-term capital gains and long-term capital gains. Right. Distinguishing factor is very simple. If you've held a position for one year or less, it is short-term in nature, which means that $600 when captured for profit, when that position is sold, is included in your income at the same ordinary rates that we talked about for ordinary interest income, ordinary dividends, and in the simplest sense, W 2 income as well. Okay.
0: So versus long term gains.
1: Long term gains, exact opposite of that. If you've held the position for greater than one year, it's important. It's not one year exactly, greater than one year. Okay. You are then subject to what we had talked about with qualified dividends earlier, which is a benefit, which is most people are going to be at the 15% rate, which is uh, undoubtedly lower than what you're paying on your ordinary income. Okay.
0: So from a hierarchy standpoint, long-term capital gains are taxed at a lower rate than short-term gains are.
1: Correct. So general rule of thumb and general, it's not, again, it's not all else equal, but a lot of the times we are going to focus on Long-term capital gains, if we have to realize them, which right. mean we never want the tax tail to wag the investment dog completely, right? that's going to be your taxable account for the long-term. Any of the short-term gains, uh, we're going to focus on the IRAs or 401ks. And that brings me to one other point. When we do client rebalancing, the more that we can do in those retirement accounts, the better, because generally people, no are, gains, right? yeah, yeah, and people are investing for a reason, and that's to gain value in their portfolio, and so our intent is for them to have gains, and I think to your point, Joseph, tax-deferred or tax-free if it's in an IRA or 401k, so you are not paying any of those taxes until you take them out, and depending on the structure, sometimes never.
0: Right. Okay. So another way to reduce the necessary evil, which we despise here at Towerpoint Wealth, is uh, from a tax standpoint, do more of your trading and focus that trading you know, specifically to short-term capital gains when you have to do so or when you want to do so bias doing those type of transactions in a retirement account and in a regular taxable account as you like to call it one that you get a 1099 for is you know if you have to do the trading you have to do the transaction do so you know with it being a long-term more advantageous uh, capital gains rates
1: Correct. With one wrinkle and there's always wrinkles in the tax code sure. as we it's both know. Nuanced, obviously. Nuanced. And and this does happen for certain people, but if you are in the lowest tax bracket, in fact, uh, a 0% federal tax bracket, you have the opportunity to harvest gains for free if it's a taxable account.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: So there are chances, opportunities, considerations when you might actually want to take long-term gains intentionally in right. a taxable account, if you can do so in that 0% long term gains bracket. But that is, again, a nuance, and that's not going to be appropriate or really available for everyone. Yeah, it
0: just depends on the tax bracket you fall into. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Still, you know, why not take a gain if you don't have to pay any tax on it? Yep.
1: Yeah. A lot of people overlook that, but that can be important because it resets your, not to get technical, cost basis upward. So right. it's like you just bought it today.
0: Yeah, without having any future embedded costs. Uh, consequences uh, that may not be there if you don't take it at 0%. Correct. Got it. Steve, how do we reach you here at TowerPoint Wealth?
1: Two ways to reach me, uh, at least two primary ways. One is you can call my direct number, which is 916-405-9166, or you can email me at spitchf4d at com. And frankly, a third way that's just as easy is our website, towerpointwealth.com. Bottom left-hand corner, there's a a picture of our colleague, Lori, that says, talk to (laughs) us. Click on that and you can schedule an appointment with me.
0: Perfect, thank you. So moving along here, in terms of a necessary evil, again, of taxes, and we'll we'll move on here to reducing costs in, in a second, but what does it mean to withdraw wisely? I know you've talked about the tax differences between retirement accounts and normal taxable accounts but uh, help me to better understand or help our audience understand, you know, when I want to take some money out for income or because I have to make a purchase or what, what have you, um, how do I withdraw wisely or tax efficiently?
1: Good question. So we're, we're going to expand our, our bucket list a little bit, but we're going to keep it pretty simple, but really there's, there's the taxable count that we talked about and we had talked about the IRAs and the 401ks, those actually fall into two buckets to complicate things a little bit. That's okay, that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're talking about it. Pre-tax, and all that means is if that money comes out, the distribution is subject to ordinary income taxes. So if you take 20,000 out of a pre-tax IRA, 20,000 goes on your tax return. Okay. All right. The other one which I know most of you heard about is Roth, which you don't get that upfront tax benefit that pre-tax assets pay, but the benefit is that when that money comes out, it's tax-free. The reason I bring that up, say
0: that again, Steve tax-free. Oh, okay. That's got a (laughs) ring to it. (laughs) We don't get to say that very often. You're right. You're right. There's a
1: reason that for most of our clients, we love a healthy mix of all, but a healthy mix to Roth even better. You bet. So I bring that up because what you're alluding to is when you take money out of the accounts, they're treated very differently for tax reasons. So you've got your taxable account, money comes out tax-free, but if you're raising cash, you have to be sensitive to generating those gains that we talked about.
0: Right. Right. got to sell something to get the money.
1: Exactly. Then you've got your pre-tax assets comes out as ordinary income and your Roth comes out tax-free. General rule of thumb, and again, general is the big term because we don't like to use that word around here at Tower Point Wealth. <laughs> well. But broad audience we're talking to. Broad so that's audience. Fine. Um, you want to start withdrawing, let's say you've retired and you are needing some money from your retirement nest egg, which is like most people out there. So hopefully a sustainable strategy. Generally speaking, you wanna start with your taxable account because it does not provide the tax advantages that the pre-tax and Roth retirement accounts provide. Okay. From an investment perspective like we had talked about earlier. After that, you wanna start with your pre-tax assets. Again, because we want the tax-free growth and the tax-free distributions for the Roth IRA to continue as long as possible. So start
0: with your regular account, Mm -hmm. then the quote-unquote normal non-Roth IRAs and 401Ks basically. Yep. Okay.
1: And then I think you can understand where we're going with this. Right. Um, And then you would int, i.e. take last from your Roth 401K, Roth IRA, et cetera. But I think probably getting to your next question, how do you do that from a perspective of is this actually the best approach? No it's not always the best approach. Um, For clients that are just retired and before they file for Social Security, there are often uniquely low windows of time where we might recommend to a client, let's take from your pre-tax assets first because we can do that, A, in a lower tax bracket than you were 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago.
0: Because you're retired and not making as much money, assumedly.
1: Exactly, and B, when you reach age 73, and these rules constantly change right now, for most people, it's age 73, you have what are called required minimum distributions mm-hmm. from pre-tax assets, right? which means the government wants you, in fact, makes you take a percentage out each and every year, which for often, a lot of our clients that takes away the tax control and that could bump them into a higher tax bracket in the future. So if we can take some pre-tax assets now in lower tax brackets and spread That tax liability out from a perspective of bringing the overall tax rates lower, Mm -hmm. that can be very attractive.
0: Okay. So you're reducing the amount that you have in that regular pre tax retirement account so that when the time comes to take uh, the RMD or required minimum distribution, it's less.
1: Yeah, exactly right, Joe. And it's, you know, this is why we look at these things on a year by year basis. Um, You know, we try not to get too bogged down in, in planning 30 years out. Because the reality is, and this is specific from a tax perspective, every year is different for most people, especially retirees. Sure. So this is why we use tax projection softwares. Um, this is exactly why another year it might actually be best to take from a Roth. 401k or Roth IRA it just depends on the tax year
0: yeah well and I mean that speaks to you know the planning side of things too where to your point Steve I mean you know not only is there variability in what a client's tax bracket may be next year five years or ten years from now but there's also variability in what overall federal and state tax rates may be as we know t- Congress likes to tinker with those things for better or for worse and uh, it seems to me, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's advantageous to have money in a bunch of different tax buckets.
1: Um, you, um, that's a very good point, Joe, and I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because what we often see, and you know, often a general term, is clients tend to be heavy in pre-tax assets. Not always a bad thing from a, you got the tax deduction upfront perspective, but to your point, <laughs> whether or not taxes are going to increase in the future is anybody's best guess, but we know that there's a strong possibility that that's going to happen. That could you leave you in the opportunity where you got a tax deduction up front, but you were in a lower tax bracket than you actually might be when you retire. I know that sounds strange, but that actually has happened in the past. Absolutely. So having, um, a mix of not just taxable, but Roth and pre-tax assets gives you the ability to hedge against the risk of increasing and sounds funny to say risk, but risk of decreasing tax assets too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know, again, put differently, we put a bow on this. I mean, not only is it important to diversify your portfolio from the standpoint of which accounts you're holding, which assets in and what type of stocks bonds and mutual funds and alternative assets. But it sounds like, I don't know if the phrase tax diversification is fair, but I'm struck by the fact that that's exactly what you're getting at. Very fair. Good. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, let's move on to the second tranche, if you will, of necessary evils. The first, again, being income taxes, uh, necessary but not liked. And the second necessary evil that creates drag and uh, reduces growth are expenses and costs. And again, you know, we're, we're never able to get away from paying tax. We know that's an inevitability, and we're never able to completely avoid fees, costs, and expenses. Those are inevitabilities as well, but we do have some say. We do have some control over these things, and uh, in a world where sometimes we have little say over things, it's nice to uh, use some scrutiny with this. So talk, Steve, a little bit about uh, um, owning what we called, or what you talked about earlier, a, a low cost or an index fund. How does that help? Uh, why does that help reduce drag on a portfolio?
1: Good question, Joe. So talked about the tax benefits of that already, not necessarily unassociated with why investment costs are low. There are correlations, there's relations there, in fact, direct ones. But going back to index funds, again, a friendly reminder that index funds are not funds where you have a traditional investment manager that's sitting out there and picking stocks.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Or any security that's part of the fund.
1: Or any security. So an index fund tracks an indices. Uh, There's a lot of indices out there Again, the most widely known one is the S&P 500, which is the largest 500 publicly traded traded companies in the US. The reason that that keeps costs low is you do not have to employ or pay for a manager or a management team out there that is trying to beat an industry that's trying to outperform. Not that those don't have merit, but because you do not have to pay somebody to do that. All they're doing is swapping positions in and out as they need to to keep in line with the indice. So it keeps costs razor thin, which is hugely important because that's what you take home at the end of the day.
0: Sure. Well, and there's some that would argue, and I think there's somewhat of a fair point, that you know paying an active manager may be of ultimate benefit. Um, but what we know for certain is that the, the low, low costs associated with an index fund – you know, uh, is associated directly with avoiding or eliminating most of that cost of active management. Correct. Got it. Yep. Um, w- I, you know, th- it's been a changing environment and landscape in Wall Street over the past 5, 10, 15 years, and assuredly will continue to be a changing one. But there still seems to be a lot of people out there that are subject or are, are paying uh, commissions when they do trades. Um, I know things uh, have evolved here over the past couple of years uh, you know, people have accounts held at you know, some of the bigger brokerage firms and they sometimes are subject to custodial fees, you know, is that reasonable? Or are there ways around that? You know, if we're trying to reduce expenses, how can we do so, or how can we avoid those, those costs?
1: Yeah, that's a pretty easy one. You should not be paying custodial fees. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of good firms out there that do not charge custodial fees, um, we're admittedly i wouldn't call it bias but we like holding client assets at charles schwab for a myriad of reasons and one of them being that they do not charge custodial fees and they do not charge commissions commissions are hugely important as well and i I think people hear the word commission and it does sound scary and and sometimes it can be and really what a commission is and i just kind of piggybacking off of what you were going to say essentially it can be uh, a charge for buying a position a charge for selling a position that might go to an advisor, it might go to a firm, but the reality is an important part of that is that commission has no tie, no association, no correlation with the actual performance of the fund itself.
0: Right. That's just compensation for somebody.
1: Just compensation for somebody. And everything that we can do to directly align our interests, and this is just as the general advisor community for clients is critical and not paying commissions, not only because they drag your investment costs when you were still paying an underlying management fee, but also to make sure that your interests are aligned. It's hugely important.
0: Yeah. Well, and to your point now with how quickly the, the overall uh, industry has evolved, uh, it's not to say these companies aren't making money. It's they certainly are, but, uh, I would say from a consumer standpoint, you know, our listeners out there certainly could or should benefit, from finding a a home for your investments, i.e. a custodian who doesn't charge custodial fees and doesn't charge commissions. Not unreasonable anymore. No, it's not. Good. Along the same vein, um, I know from a mutual fund standpoint, oftentimes people have been subject to what's called a a load or a sales load. Um, Could you briefly touch upon what that is, why someone would want to pay that or be subject to that, and what they should do to avoid it?
1: Good question. So two primary terms when you talk about loads, there's front ends and there's back ends. A front end load is essentially a fee that you pay to buy a mutual fund. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that doesn't mean that sometimes those are appropriate. And this is a little bit beyond the scope of the podcast, Joe, but the reality is there's also two share classes, um, institutional and retail. And the reason I bring that up is there's a trade-off. There is, because you, if you select a fund that has a front-end load or a back-end load, there can be benefits from that from uh, the perspective of getting out of the fund, being able to not be locked into it for a set amount of time. But for most of our clients, we recommend institutional funds, which generally will have a trading fee associated with them. But the key is that they're going to have lower expense ratios, so
0: cheaper. Yeah. Well, anytime we can, again, get better gas mileage, reduce expenses, so much the better. And again, I think sometimes when you, when there's a load associated with a fund, a load really is another word for commission. Correct. And there are advisors or brokers out there that still conduct business in, in a more traditional Wall Street type of manner and you know that load or that commission for a mutual fund would, would go to pay the broker, correct? Correct. So it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad if in fact you're comfortable compensating someone in that capacity. However, um, at least here at Tower Point Wealth and with a lot of other fiduciary financial advisory firms such as Tower Point Wealth, uh, we've rejected not just the load but the overall commission-based style of compensation in, in, in favor of something that's more aligned with our interests along with our clients.
1: Yep, exactly right.
0: Great. Uh, lastly, how can we as investors, how can we as participants in a four hundred one k plan, or four hundred three b, or four hundred fifty seven, or what we would call an employer sponsored retirement plan, um, you know, virtually all of America seemingly is is taking advantage of these four hundred one k's and other type of retirement plans. Uh, there, there, there seems to be a lot of conversation about the costs and expenses and fees associated with. 401Ks and retirement plans. What can I do if I'm a participant? I am here at TowerPoint, but I know we scrutinize ours quite closely, but what can I do if I'm a normal participant in a normal 401K to, to hopefully pay attention to and reduce costs?
1: Good question. And I will say, fortunately, it's getting better. It's getting a lot better and that you could say the same thing for... Better meaning lower? Lower. Okay. Lower costs. Um, it's similar to a lot of things out there with clients, investors choosing fiduciaries, like TowerPoint Wealth, more education is always better. It's tricky with 401ks because you do not always have the ability to, you know, put down your fist and say that this is the way it's going to be. But what I can tell you is that there are resources out there to figure out what the costs are for the funds. 401ks and depending on how it's structured, somebody there, some company has a fiduciary capacity to that plan, which means that they have to provide their participants with well diversified, low cost, and often reviewed, frequently reviewed options. Got it. So there are a few different resources, one of them being the summary plan description, which essentially is the overlying guide that explains everything that has to do with the 401k plan. Okay. That will include the investment funds and the fees associated. If not, you will easily be able to find a similar document that does that.
0: So get a hold of this thing. Get a hold of this thing. The summary plan description so you can make smarter decisions about lower cost funds.
1: Exactly right. Okay. Exactly right. And the expense ratio should be on there. And what I can tell you is what you should not be seeing consistently, and consistently is a big word, are funds that have fees of 1% or greater. Okay. Okay. Our low cost index funds range from anything to 0.04% to 0.3%. And that's generally speaking, what we like to see with 401ks. Okay,
0: great. And also, I mean, again, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets some attention sometimes. You know, we've, I know I've told clients that while you don't have the power necessarily to change what your company 401k is offering, you certainly do have the option to talk with your plan administrator and at least ask why better or lower cost or you know what have you options aren't available and at least make sure you put that on their radar screen.
1: Exactly. And the the last thing I'll, I'll I'll add to that too is also be careful when you leave a 401k. Okay. Right. You won't always know how this is done, but it is done sometimes where your fees are going up when you've left a 401k plan because they're paying somebody to manage that 401k and they're often paying based on participant count so they want you out okay so it's really important to be mindful of not letting your money just sit there and finding a good alternative which is a little bit beyond the scope of, beyond the scope of this podcast but important just to be mindful of that
0: yeah well and a lot of these themes get back to education and asking questions and you know i know for first to end and i'm sure you do as well that inertia oftentimes gets in the way of, of people doing some of the things that you know could end up saving them drag on their portfolio from a fear and expense standpoint obviously as well as income tax so this is great uh, this is useful information Steve uh, I know we're privileged to have you aboard the team here at Towerpoint as our director of tax and financial planning our clients certainly uh, you know echo those sentiments um, you know again as a, as a fiduciary to our clients uh, we're required to work in their best interests a hundred percent of the time uh, something our competitors on Wall Street are unable to say which is definitely a competitive advantage for us but uh, if you would like to further discuss Any of the uh, issues that Steve and I talked about today, visit us at www.towerpointwealth.com. Our direct line is 916-405-9140, info at towerpointwealth.com if you have any questions. And we're happy to have a no-strings-attached dialogue with any of our listeners. So, Steve, again, thank you for your time and input, and very much appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening today. We certainly hope you've enjoyed our podcast. For more information about TowerPoint Wealth, give us a call at 916 405 9140. Check us out on the web at towerpointwealth.com or on all social channels. Just search TowerPoint Wealth. Thanks again, and here's to the health of your wealth. Point Wealth LLC is a registered investment advisor. The material covered in this podcast is solely for informational purposes. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where PowerPoint Wealth and
1: its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns.